on and just sing them. Because I feel like every time you've been on, you've just known every word of the songs. Now, some I just do know. Like, nice. uh, yeah, some I just, I'm just a big fan. Like, and I know like all the Spider-Man verses? I was like, dang, I don't even remember that. Oh, well, Spider-Man's my boy, man. I know that. I know that shit. <laughs> or like Lion King, I know... I know a lot of those songs. Uh, I know a lot of Beauty and the Beast. I know, I don't know. It just depends on the movie or the, I know a lot of movie songs. I know a lot of. Yeah. So, so today they dropped the soundtrack on iTunes for Lion King. Oh, they did? And if you go listen to that, be prepared. It's very obvious that's not going to be in the movie. What? It does not have a movie-like quality to it. Huh. Like, it's a lot more of a subtle version of it. It's not as, like, it's not as much of a call to arms like Be Prepared was. Man, um, that makes me sad, dude. Yeah, Edge of Four sings it well, but you, you it's just, like I said, it's, it's a lot more subtle, and you could tell they just recorded a version of it to have it on the soundtrack. Man, no, that really makes me sad. I know that your powers of pretension are as wet as a warthog's backside, but thick as you are, pay attention, for my words are a matter of pride. It's clear from your vacant expression. All right, you have to save this for you have to save this yeah, for the ranking. That's gonna save. You gotta have it on that one. You gotta calm down a little bit. Yeah. But since we're doing midsummer, I do need Justin to sing the Midsummer theme song. What is that? I don't even know what it is. What is it? What is it? I don't know it. Nothing. I just wanted you to do something like that since we were recording. <laughs> what is the song of Midsummer? Is it, why do you build me up, build me up, buttercup baby, just to let me down, let me down, mess me around, and then worst of all, worst of all, you never call baby when you say you will, say you will, but I love you still. I don't know what the song is. Basically just a lot of wailing and screaming. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. At the end when they were like, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. No, no, don't do that. Why the fuck did you sound like you were having an orgasm? I don't sound like that uh, uh, when I have one, though. <laughs> but you, those were, that was definitely you doing orgasm noises. I'm just saying. Hey, Cine fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. If you could not tell by Justin's insane rantings right before I said all that, we will be doing a bonus episode tonight on the quote unquote horror classic, as it has been deemed by some midsummer we are going to talk about what we liked didn't like and everything in between and i'm going to speak at least for myself i'm going to let you guys know there's one of those three things i just said that will be on the extra heavy side for me today so you might as well sit back and relax because it will end up being a road trip at some point that you're just going to have to follow me along with but before we get into all that we are going to talk about what we liked and we're going to start it off with Justin since he's so fucking psyched about Midsummer. All right. Um, uh, no, I'm kidding. Okay. What did I like um, about this film? So obviously um, I was a fan of Hereditary. So I was kind of on the side of people that like that film. Uh, Ari Aster. Am I saying that correctly? We're going to go with that. Ari Aster. Uh, directed Hereditary. And so this is like his uh, his next film. So this is one that a lot of people were um, hyped about, were excited about because coming off of Hereditary, uh, it, it was a generally positive reception. Um, a little bit lower for um, 
the as far as fan reception to the film, but it was very very high on the the critic in, in, in as far as how the critics received it, and this one kind of is is in a similar way. I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes right now, and uh, you know the rev- the reviews for the critics is fairly high, eighty three percent. But then I'm looking at the audience review, and the audience is just it's barely positive at 61%. So again, we're having this disparity where the critics and movie watchers seem to appreciate this guy's work, but for some reason, it's just not, you know, there's not this overwhelming amount of fans that are just watching these movies and liking them. And um, I think, the and, and however, how I feel about this film, as far as that is, is that I do think though, when I look at just Midsummer as a movie and compare it to Hereditary, it is a step down from that. I do think that things um, were a little too obvious in this film. I liked how Hereditary kind of, you know, it seemed like I had to work a little harder to figure things out. And and, and this story just reminded me of a lot of different things. And oh, wow, I, I don't know how any of this is positive. But anyway, let me stop. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, that's all negative stuff. Let me start again and try to list some positives. So first of all, the acting performances. Um, Florence Pugh is pa Pooh. I got to learn how to pronounce names better. But Florence Pooh, we're going to go with that, um, plays Danny in this film. And I, I, and I think for the most part, she does a good job with what she was given. This is one, another one of those situations where maybe I didn't agree with the writing or how the story kind of all culminates at the end. But as far as just looking at an individual act and performance, she carries this film. She's emotional when she needs to be. Um, she's um, anytime she need, she was called upon to be angry or to be concerned about something or to be curious or anything like that. Um, I think that she nailed those scenes. A lot of times there were her expressions needed to, I guess, carry the emotional weight of the film or her expressions needed to kind of get the audience in the mood that they needed to be in for that setting or for that part in the film. And I think that she was able to do that. I think that she uh, really handled herself well in that movie. She had most of the lines, most of the scenes. And I do believe that she carried that. Um, some of the supporting characters, um, Jack Rayner as Christian, um, though you could argue that he wasn't necessarily like a, um, a redeeming character or anything like that. But as far as his character next to her, I thought that they did fine. I thought that most of the time, some of their reactions to what was going on when they were, uh, with this occult and everything, I, I thought that most of those things landed. So w- as far as him as an individual acting performance, I thought that they both did well. Um, th- th- another thing and the last thing that I'll say as far as my likes and everything other than those two actors was just some of the visuals in this. Um, one thing that you have to say about this director, Ari Aster, is that he's ambitious, man. And that definitely comes off in his movies. Hereditary, I could definitely see that with the creative set pieces and the dollhouses and stuff like this. And I have to admit, taking on the challenge of doing a horror movie that almost 90% happens in daylight is a huge undertaking because most of the time, the trope, the 
the the strategy, the easy thing to do, so to speak, is just to have things happen in the dark. You know, most of the time, the dark is what's scary. You can't see things. There's not a lot of light. Things can come out of nowhere. You can hear noises and not know where they're coming from. And those are usually the 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 tropes, the formulas that are used to tell a horror story. I have to give him points for the undertaking of having this take place completely in the daylight and yet still having some creepy moments, having some creepy parts, having some parts where you're wondering, okay, where is this going or what are these people about and different things like that. And the fact that it took place completely in daylight also allowed for some beautiful imagery. There are some great looking scenes in this. I mean, they're just out in somewhere in Sweden in the in this wilderness and everything just looks great. I mean, everything, the landscapes that they had, the the structures that were built and how picturesque they would look whenever you would get like a far away uh, camera view and you would see that triangular looking barn off in the distance or the way a character would stand um, in relation to that, that being in the background and maybe the character kind of being in the foreground. There were a lot of great like picturesque scenes in the film, a bunch, even when they're all sitting at the table and you can see the outline of that symbol as everybody's sitting at the table. You know, there were just a lot of very neat, very beautiful visuals like that. Now, of course, it can be argued, did, was it too pretty? Did it kind of take away from the horror feel, feel that I was supposed to be feeling? So, you know, I guess there is somewhat of a double-edged sword with that. But one thing I can say about this director is he's got an eye for beautiful things. I mean, between this and Hereditary, the film's are just absolutely gorgeous to look at. So th th that just about does it for my positives with this film. Heather, your turn. By the way, Justin, I did, um, I was looking it up and it's Florence Pugh. Pugh, thank you. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I do agree with you on that. I think that she she kind of stood out above all the other characters. And I, I mean, obviously she was sort of the, the main character in it. So she was in a way going to, but... She did a good job in, in what she was given. I do agree with that. Like, you, you really do feel like she's just like this anxiety ridden, like really trying to grasp for anything because she feels like she's losing everything kind of person, you know, and it does make her that um, basically model model person to be a part of this community and this cult or whatever it is, because, you know, she's at her breaking point. She's losing her relationship. She's lost her family. So I think that it makes her in their eyes, probably like this perfect candidate to, to be in their community and kind of, you know, be in, in a way a leader in that community. Um, so I think that she did a good job with portraying the correct emotions that she should have. And it just, it really did feel realistic to someone who was, you know, dealing with what she was dealing with, but she was trying to keep it together. So I, I think she did a good job with that. Will Poulter, who plays, um, oh, what is his name in the movie? Um, Mark, the one who plays Mark, who's like the troublemaker rebel one who, you know, goes and pees on the ancestry tree or whatever it is. I am always a fan of him. I'm not sure what it is about him, but I just always enjoy his work. I think it's because he's played such a variety of different characters. Like he was in We're the Millers, you know, he was the younger brother in that. Um, he's in that Bandersnatch Black Mirror episode. 
um, you know, he's in this. He's just, oh, he's in Maze Runner. He's just in a lot of different things. And I feel like he has a lot of versatility as an actor. So I always like him. Jack Rayner was perfectly that douchebag character <laughs> that, you know, like he just honestly had no redeeming qualities. I mean, he started out just being this apathetic boyfriend. And then um, it just came into he's actually just a terrible boyfriend and a terrible friend because, you know, he just really it feels like he only cares about himself in this whole thing. So he did a really great job at portraying that, but kind of revealing a little bit at a time as to that being part of his personality or part of his character. So I thought that was kind of clever how they did that. Um, I will say that the the vis- it's visually beautiful, same as it was with Hereditary. Visually beautiful masterclass of how to make a beautiful film. Um, Ari Aster has done that again with this film because the scenery and the set pieces and everything was just very beautiful. So I definitely will give him that. And I think that they did a lot of great scene transitions. You know, you're seeing what's going on in the cult and then they're able to just, they, they kind of do a lot of fading out and then fading into something else that's happening. And they just did it really well. And it was very beautiful with the movie. So I did appreciate that. Um, and I did like, I actually did think it was interesting and I liked how they did go in depth a little bit into this community of people and their everyday life. And I think that that in a way I will give Ari Aster props for that because you feel like he really invested in this and you feel like he did a lot of research or just had a lot of imagination or something to create this this community of people, this cult of people because it it does very good at really dropping you into their world. Like in this movie when you're following this group of people that go to this festival, you feel like they're in this world, this whole new world apart from anything else and just their subtle traditions, their standard typical everyday life, like they just really put you into that while they're there. So, um I just I thought that was interesting because instead of like a lot of movies where you learn about cults or whatever, you feel like the perspective is a little different. And in this, you feel like you're actually learning just everyday life things instead of just like the the creepy things. <laughs> Even though it's all creepy, you feel like they, they give you a little bit more of this is how we do meals and this is how we live as a community and this is how we do cleaning and this is how we, you know, fellowship together or whatever it is. You just feel like they really um, made a world for you to be a part of. So I did think that they did well at that. Um and I don't know if that was because they wanted to kind of set up the um, the the creep factor of it a little bit more because you feel like, oh, okay, they just seem like very peace-loving people. And then, bam, all this craziness happens, you know. Um, so maybe that's what they were doing. But I just, I do think that they they leaned a lot on the let's come into this world of the community. And you feel like the community of people was a bigger... Um, main character of the movie than the people that were visiting the festival. So it was an interesting um, perspective to do on that, but I thought it was cool. So I did like that. And um, other than that, I mean, that's going to kind of be (laughs) the majority of the likes that I will give this movie. So do you guys have all your likes out of the way? Yep. You don't have, yeah. You don't have any likes, Sterling? No likes? Are, are, are you done? Are you done liking this film? Oh yeah. We're ready for your likes. All right. So for my likes, um, I, I need your help for this, Justin. Can you drop like a beat or a melody 
like a guitar riff or just a melody in general real quick for me just anything that pops in your head fuck this movie just such a short chorus wow wow I have probably never had as much of a miserable experience in a movie theater as I did with this movie. And I am including Harriet the Spy when I say this. What? Oh, no. You're going to have to tell them about Harriet the Spy really quickly because they won't. They need to know, understand that because, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you said that. Because to preface this, Harriet the Spy to me is just the worst movie to ever exist in the history of ever. I, I'm counting every movie that has ever been made, and Harriet the Spy is worse than that. I mean, the amount of time they focused on tomato and mayonnaise sandwiches, the fact that there was a group of kids that essentially had people write, like had somebody write just literal observations down about them, and that turned them into a bloodthirsty mob that wanted to kill a classmate. Because she just said factual obligations, like, or factual observations about people. Just like every scene in that movie, like whenever they were doing the spy, what, the spy haters club was probably the, just the thing that set me off the, over the edge with this. And I am talking about when I was a kid and watched this movie. I'm not prefacing this like, oh, I watched this last week and was like flabbergasted. No, no, this is when I was a child and watching this movie. On top of it, it weirdly starts with like a 20 minute long like partial episode of Hey Arnold, which I've got nothing against Hey Arnold, but like, fuck, it's already a movie. Like you don't have to play an episode of a TV show before a movie. Like I know Pixar does their shorts, but at least they're short. Like this was seriously 25 minutes on top of trailers. So it's trailers and then Hey Arnold. And then this movie finally fucking happens. So by the time this movie ends, it feels like, I mean, when you're a little kid, it felt like it went for 27 days. When I think when all actuality, when all that was said and done, because trailer times back in the day weren't as long. I guess it ended up being maybe an hour and 45 minutes. I don't fucking remember how long Harry the Spy is. I know it's at least 60 minutes too goddamn long, but that's whatever. And so that has been the movie that has just followed me throughout my life as being the movie I hate the most and how miserable I was as a child sitting in that movie theater watching that movie in Big Spring, Texas, because I didn't even watch it in Midland. I watched it in the uh, the mall in Big Spring, Texas. That even makes it even more miserable. And you'll, you'd understand that if you've ever fucking Big, Big Spring, you'd completely understand that. But it was just a very, very horrible time at the movies. And I say that, and I've had a scorpion fall down the back of my shirt watching a movie. Oh, no. And that was still infinitely more enjoyable to hear it the spy. <laughs> and then now, after watching Midsummer, I'm not going to lie to you guys, Harriet the Spy, like that movie going experience was like <laughs> when I went and saw Jurassic Park in the theaters. Just utter amazement and awe and just fun the entire time. Because this, this was literally a chore to watch. Like, I kind of feel like I want to like contact somebody at the UN and, you know, and have like a war tribunal raised against Ari Aster or whatever the fuck his name is. It's probably Ari Astor because he's a fucking pretentious asshole. But 
I want a war tribunal convened against oh this my. man for acts of terrorism and like what against human rights or I don't know whatever the technical term for the bullshit is. It was just fucking torture. This man was just breaking the rules of the Geneva Convention and just torturing people. <laughs> For no fucking reason. Justin sat there and for so long he was talking about, oh, he's ambitious. It was daylight. Oh, it was this. Oh, this, the daylight, the daylight. There's not a single fucking thing that happens in this movie that A, is made better by daylight or B, that daylight really actually plays into because it's not a horror movie set in daylight as Justin would lead you to believe. Justin's a dirty liar because this is just a collection of scenes that happen in daylight. <laughs> not a horror movie kids it's not it's just some visualized shit that happens in daylight for no real reason other than this guy wanted to act like he was doing you know something creative you know in daylight it's not just it doesn't matter and i'm pretty much going to break this down in about as chronological of an order as i can and i'm doing and i say as i can because i'm not going to lie so many of these scenes in this movie are so much like other scenes in this movie. I can't always remember what takes place at what time because like 27 of the scenes like just are a mirror view of a scene you've already seen before. So it starts off in this weird like, you know, guys out with his boys, girls being clingy, you know, that shit you see in movies and you know, she's calling him and he's like, oh, my girl. Oh. And everybody's like, why didn't you break up with her like a year ago? And he's like, oh, no. Can we can we end that trope now? Can we just end that? Like, I get it. Relationships are sometimes hard to get out of or, you know, especially if they're in a bad situation or you feel like somebody's really codependent. I get that. But can we end this whole bullshit thing of having a movie of just shenanigans just because somebody didn't have like the, you know, courage to end a relationship when they should especially a year like a year's a really long time to stay in a relationship extra you know and then i understand a little bit why it continues on after the next scene i'm going to talk about because her sister then right after that does a murder suicide with her parents and so i'd understand not breaking up with her right after that that's a lot of you know that's a lot of weight i mean you could delay it by like a week but let's be realistic. A week tops after the funeral. Okay, I'll, I'll say that. Let me preface a little more. A week after the funeral, then you can dump her. Not just a week, because sometimes funeral arrangements take a little bit. You don't want to be like dumping her the day before the funeral. That's a little cold. Week after, fine. Who cares? We're all adults here. But a year, like that's and it's and it's obvious he's completely miserable with it. And so, and I'm saying all this. It sounds like I'm like really stuck on this because it, it, it's a common theme that plays throughout the entire movie. And that's why I think it's so important to focus on this right now. I mean, the movie spent like what? I think 57 minutes at the beginning before it got to the murder suicide discussing this. So, I mean, I can spend five. It's fine. And so then the next pivotal moment is, you know, the, the sister commits murder suicide, which really bothered me for the sheer <laughs> fact that somehow our main character uh scream crier mcgee i think that was the character's name she finds out about this because the police or a first responder unit or something like that calls her to tell her that her you know her family was just involved in a murder suicide you know as you do over the phone like that but this also plays like i said later on in the movie because while we the viewer we get to see um, the aftermath of said murder suicide that was done by dual car exhaust through duct taped on hoses, which also 
where the fuck do you find hoses that long? Like, I looked it up on Amazon. I don't think you can find hoses that long. But somehow this sister found two of them. So she like duct tapes one under a door and just, I guess, lets her parents' room fill with carbon monoxide. And then she takes one, puts it in her mouth, and then duct tapes it on with like 97 pieces of duct tape. Like, I'm not going to lie. It looked kind of like a professional (laughs) duct tape job. Almost like somebody was in the makeup department applying duct tape on this woman's face in a makeup trailer. Because there's no way that she duct taped the, the tube to her parents' door, then went downstairs, duct taped this to her mouth, started both the cars, then ran all the way upstairs, inhaling direct carbon monoxide through a tube the entire way through like through the garage, through like a hallway, through a living room, you know, up some stairs, down the hallway again and into her room so she could strategically pose by her bed, which would be the only way she could duct tape her mouth like that if she had not started the cars when she had done it, because otherwise she would have to do that, duct tape this to her face while carbon monoxide's already coming out of the tubes. Now, I will say this, the one other way it would be possible would be remote start. And I get that. That would actually make it possible. But most uh, remote starts would have stopped before it probably would have killed the parents. It would have probably killed her because it's still 15 straight minutes of her just sucking down carbon monoxide. But her parents would have to fill a room. It looked like a fairly decent sized room. This looked like a decent sized house, you know. And, you know, with the amount of displacement and stuff like that, I feel like it would have taken a little while longer. I think the parents actually would have lived if it was done via remote start. But it, so that's what I'm saying. It's a weird trade-off. And like I said, it sounds like I'm focusing on some weird shit very early on. I'm not because this plays a huge part in the movie, which I'll get to. And like I said, I mean, this I've only really described the first like nine hours and 56 minutes of the movie. So we're not even to like the crazy shit of the movie yet. Only like 10 hours in. It's fine. So then, you know, she finds out about this and her boyfriend's like, oh, fine, I'll stay your boyfriend and all this other stuff. But the entire time this character, like I said, uh, Scream Cryer McGee, scream cries the entire time. And I kind of understand a little bit like she just lost her sister and her family, everything like that. That's a very monumentous, uh, like tragic moment. So, of course, she's going to be very, very sad about this. But and I, I get it in this scene. And once again, I'm focusing on this because it comes into play later. And this was only the first 15 hours of the movie. So 15 hours in, we've seen some scream crying, murder, suicide, and a guy bitching about his girlfriend. And so then it it posits that now some time has passed. They're at a party and uh, scream crier's like, oh, hey, shitty boyfriend. And like shitty boyfriend's like, hey, I'm shitty boyfriend. And they're at this party and, you know, they let it slip that, oh, all the guys were going to take the trip to Sweden. And Scream Cryers are like, hey, shitty boyfriend, you didn't tell me that. And he's like, oh, I know I mentioned it, though. We just, it, you know, we're not sure yet. And she's like, well, you, you sound sure. And he's like, well, I'm shitty boyfriend. And so, you know, I thought I told you or it wasn't sure, even though I know it's for sure and all this other stuff. And she's like, oh, man, shitty boyfriend. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm just confused. And he's like, well, come on. I'm shitty boyfriend. So then then we move on. Then it moves. Then it goes. And this is, I think we've, the, the movie was only 27 hours in. I think it was just a little over a day at this point. And so then we're going and everybody's going to Sweden. And she, and like shitty boyfriend's like, oh, hey, 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 friends. I'm also, you know, my middle name. I'm shitty boyfriend, shitty friend, you know. So 
he tells all his friends, he's like, oh, hey, by the way, that girl that I've wanted to dump for at least, you know, eight years at this point, she's coming to Sweden with us. And so they all go to Sweden. So they're all in Sweden. Like the first thing they do when they get to Sweden is then like get on in a car and start driving again. And all I would know is if I ever just spent six hours or whatever on a plane, the last thing I'm going to fucking do, jump in a fucking car right away. You know, I know he has this friend who's like, no, we have to go now. I go, look, bro, we need some smoked fish or whatever the fuck we eat here in Sweden. I don't know. I probably should have looked something up. That would have been a better joke if I actually said a, a real dish in Sweden. I'm sure this, I'm sure they eat some smoked fish. All the Nordic countries, all the Scandinavian countries, they all have a form of smoked fish. I'm sure they eat that. So then they, they get there and it's, it, it, they were going to one of their friends' communities. I know I'm all over the place. This movie does that because this movie does the same fucking thing. So like they go there and then they have to stop in one area. Like they have to stop with their their regular normal cars so that they can take like a shitty little truck thing or whatever. I don't know, like to the village. They can't drive to the village, even though there's a road. There's a road all the way there, but they can't drive there for whatever reason. I don't know. That That's like red flag number 27 on this trip. And yet everybody's like, nope, this is still a good idea. Let's keep going. And so they're, they're stopped there. And I don't know. I think they have to wait. Like, I think it's like five weeks before they're allowed to finish the trip to the, the, the village or whatever. So they're like four and a half weeks in or whatever. And they're taking shrooms. And so, of course, of course, Scream Crier has a bad trip because God forbid, you know, they do something normal in this movie. So she has like a weird bad trip and starts scream crying again, like passes out in a field. And then she wakes up and everybody's just like standing around her, like staring at her. I'm like, yeah, because that's what people do when they're like friend passes out whilst on drugs. They literally just all stand around and stare. You know, no one's bent down, like trying to help her up or anything. They just like, hey, oh, look, your friend's on the ground. So then they make it to the village and then they start doing this like tour thing. Oh, no. My memory gets a little vague at this point because I'm not going to lie. I was seriously fighting to not fall asleep at this point. Seriously fighting it. I think that I guess that's where Justin's like create courageousness argument for this director kind of comes into play because the fact that this movie is 97.9% daylight kind of helped me not fall asleep because the screen's so fucking bright the entire movie that it kind of makes it hard to like fall asleep during. So I guess, you know, that's where he's courageous. You know, he like fought a one-on-one battle with me and my ability to sleep during shitty movies. Way to go, Ari. So they get to this village and they start doing this tour thing. And this is where a lot of the foreshadowing of the movie gets into play. I missed something earlier. I'm going to backtrack because why the fuck not? There's a painting in this girl's bedroom of a little girl and a bear, like forehead to forehead staring at each other. Remember that. It'll come into play later, like every fucking thing else in this movie. <laughs> they're like doing all this shit. They're walking around the village and they're like, hey, what's in there? And they're like, don't ever go in the barn because the barn is the most sacred thing we have. Or wow, well, what the fuck they call that building. And they're like, just don't go in there. Sacred, super sacred. But apparently there's a sacred tree that's like 50 feet away that is like the most sacred dead tree that's ever existed in the entire fucking universe. And they don't bother to tell them about it at all. Like, and like, remember earlier when Heather was like, oh, whenever he pissed on the sacred tree. Yeah, he did that because nobody mentioned a damn thing. They mentioned everything else. I'm pretty sure they were talking about how, like, there was, like, you know, a special, like, piece of cat shit on the ground or some shit at some point in the movie because everything else was all fucking special. Yet they don't fucking mention the tree and somehow this guy that's not from the community is supposed to know how fucking special this stupid tree is. So they do all this shit. 
and they're like showing paintings. There's like a painting of a bear on fire. There's pictures of these people, these all these women dressed up as the May Queen, because that's the whole point of the midsummer, you know, celebration is to, you know, do all these weird ceremonies and get a May Queen. You know, of course it's the main character, the main the main girl is the one that's like, Oh, what's this? And then, you know, the weird creepy, you know, village friend is like, Oh, that's the May Queen. Really shoving down your fucking throat, this chick's gonna end up being the May Queen. Like, if that wasn't what keyed you in that she's going to be the May Queen? I don't know what else would. I say that. There's about 27 other scenes that really shove it down your throat, too. So we're just at the first one. And I think the movie's only been going for a week and a half at this point. So it's still very manageable. And so they're just shoving all this imagery and pictures down your fucking face. You know, it's like flowers and all this other shit. And like, so then, I don't know, they start eating fish or something. I don't fucking know. And then they're like, oh, we're going to go. No, then they go to sleep and then they wake up. And then like, oh, we're going to do this ceremony thing. And... They all look at the one guy that plays Cheaty from A Good Place, which almost makes me not want to watch A Good Place anymore because this movie's that fucking bad. Don't worry, Good Place. I'll still watch you. I'm just not going to like Cheaty as much. He lost at least two percentage like points in this. But so everybody's like, oh, what's this mean? Because it's like a weird Swedish word. And so then like the village guy looks at Cheaty and Cheaty looks at him like, eh, we know what it is. And everybody's like, what's it mean? They're like, you'll see. And so they go to this thing and I don't know, there's something with a baby. And then like some old people jump off a cliff. Like everybody's like, oh man, that scene was really unsettling. I'm not gonna lie. I kind of thought it was a little funny when the old woman just went face first into a rock. I was like, that was some really good diving form. Like that's how you dive off a rock cliff is you want to kill yourself because her husband's, her husband's a dumb shit and went feet first into the rocks. Guess what happened? Fucker didn't die. Just broke the fuck out of his legs because he was stupid. Wife had it on point face first into those rocks. You dead. No. So this man is just sitting on the ground with some fucking broken ass legs. And of course, because this director (laughs) is just the most unimaginative motherfucker in the world, he spends at least 57 months focused on the legs. And then some people walk up to him with a gigantic mallet. Pretty much just picture the mallet out of Donkey Kong, like the original Donkey Kong that Mario gets going up to fucking things. Just imagine that. That's the fucking mallet they have. (laughs) Pretty much. And then they just go to fucking town on this old man's face. And everybody's like, oh my God. And so like everybody in the weird village starts mimicking the moans from this old man. Like this old man's lying on the ground with broken legs, just going, and then so like everybody in the crowd just going, or like right back at him, like some weird sick joke, like they're mocking him. They're like, yeah, fucking old man broke his legs. Listen to the fucking stupid old man sounds he's making. That's what I thought of. So I laughed a little. It was kind of funny. So, of course, all the normal people at this point, which there's two people from Britain, too, are all kind of like, what the fuck? And it's like flipping out a little bit. And none of them look at the guy that plays Cheaty and goes, you knew that this was a suicide ceremony and didn't fucking tell anybody. Yeah, that's true. You're a dick. Huge dick and everybody's freaking out but of course everybody in the main group are just like oh well that was weird but these people are right it's not our culture we can't judge them you know like a weird stereotype of democrats like you know oh we just have to accept all cultures even if it's not the same as our own sometimes you can say some shit's fucked up kind of like people committing suicide without warning people that wouldn't know it's coming that's a fucked up cultural point and you can call them out on that it's fine And of course, the two British people are the only two that are like, oh, no, 
this is still fucked. We need to leave. Like reasonable human beings. I am pretty much only on side with these people at this point in the movie. At this point, I think we're at least 27 years into the movie. And I'm only connected with two characters. Not going well for this movie. Anyway. So then they end up doing the whole weird trope, you know, that worked in 1962. That just doesn't really play well now. Where, of course, all of a sudden the guy of the two British people is just all of a sudden gone. And everybody's like, well, where'd he go? And then they're like, oh, you know, he went to town. We took him to town. And whenever uh, the car comes back, uh, we'll take you to town too, lady. And she's like, but he didn't even say goodbye to me. And he's like, yeah, because he had to go to town. And you you were going to go to town after him. So it's fine. You know, we it's fine. You know, that's why he didn't say bye to you. And he's like, oh, she'll only be like six hours behind me. I don't need to tell her what's going on. And then everybody's like, and then like a couple of people actually just believe it. Now, I'll get this. The girl his girlfriend or wife or fiance or just friend doesn't buy it. She's like, oh no, that's fucked. And everybody just keeps telling her like, no, no, it's fine. And then like, so all the American people are like, no, it's fine. They said he just went to the train station like six hours ago when the, when the car comes back, you know, next August, you know, you can go too. no harm, no foul. It doesn't matter if he said bye or not, especially shitty boyfriend. Cause shitty boyfriend's just like, yeah, why would you say bye to your girlfriend? Right. Like that's weird. Someone else does it too. You just go do whatever. Yeah, I mean, he's like, yeah, that's just that's normal. You don't he, you don't tell people simple things. F- fuck communication. And then, you know, they go away. And so all of a sudden, both of them are missing. And at this point, as most people have probably assumed, just based on my ramblings alone, not even needing to watch this movie, those two fuckers are dead. Just, they're dead. We've all accepted it. There was just zero surprise at all that that was coming because they literally followed every trope in the world when it comes to a movie like this, and they're both dead. You don't see it yet. I'll give them that. They didn't show it, but you will by the end of this movie, and they're dead. So then, shitty boyfriend goes up to Chidi and goes, hey, because we're both writing theses, you know, there's no peer reviews or anything like that at whatever college we go to, I'm going to do my thesis on the same thing you are at this exact moment, because, you know, that's how writing theses work. I can just decide what I'm doing middle of the process and just do it no advisors no nothing that's how it rolls and chidi's like but bro you can't do that and then shitty boyfriend shitty friend goes but i did and and chidi's like man i'm gonna have to figure out how to one up them on this thesis now granted pretty much how i paraphrase that co- that that conversation is a little different and i'm highly interpreting just other scenes i saw later because i really just didn't care about their conversation because it was just dumb. But I think I got the gist of it. Could be wrong. Doesn't matter. My version of it still works for the overall plot of the movie. So, hey, it's tomato tomato at this point. And so then Chidi wants to sneak into this hut thing. He's like, I'm going to look at their their Bible record or whatever. And he does. Nope, see, I just skipped ahead like nine hours. Yep, completely missed that point. I don't know. I just missed some shit. There's also some stuff about an inbred person who looks really ugly because he's inbred on purpose so that he can be a an oracle isn't that what the word they use the oracle oh i think so but like the the prophet maybe nope oracle might have been the word yeah it could be prophet oracle i don't know soothsayer no see soothsayer was too good for him definitely not soothsayer that's way too cool of a word i don't know future fuck guy (laughs) whatever i don't know he's got a weird looking face i'm sure you saw it in the trailer does it really matter that he's got a weird looking face no not at all does nothing they just really wanted you to know that he was inbred that's really the only point of that serves no other purpose he's inbred 
So he looks weird. Cool story, bro. So at one point, oh yeah, like I said, uh, Bandersnatch McGee, he pisses on a tree. Everybody flips the fuck out. And so then at lunch, like right after he pisses on the tree, some girl walks up to him and goes, bro, bro, let's go fuck. And he just turns to his friends and goes, hey guys, I'm going to go fuck. So he goes off to go fuck. And you never see him again because he's dead, of course, because this is a killer cult. We all know this. So he's dead. There's really no surprise to it later whenever you see the fact that he's dead because of course everybody knew what the fuck was going on. So then that's when Cheaty character decides he wants to go steal the Bible thing. He wants to go take pictures of it. And then the door opens behind him and this person's walking in. And he's like, thinks it's his friend Bandersnatch McGee. And he's like, Bandersnatch McGee. It's not what it looks like. And then they beat him over the head with some clubs or whatever. I don't know. And then Bandersnatch McGee like leans forward. And then you realize it's not Bandersnatch McGee. Like surprise. It's a guy wearing Bandersnatch McGee's face. And I'll tell you this, kids. At no point when you could actually see the person, did he actually look like Bandersnatch McGee? No. He doesn't. It looks like a floppity Michael Myers mask. Like in the new Halloween movie, when he's not wearing the mask and it's all floppity, that's what this face looks like, except while on this guy's face. And somehow Cheaty, who is really good friends with this guy, gets confused about this. Kind of like it's Charlie's Angels. You know, the 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 Drew Barrymore Lucy Lou ones where they like rip off the the, the mask out of nowhere and they're like, Oh my god, you got me. <laughs> That's how they tricked him was like they acted like it was that with the most unconvincing mash job ever. So now Cheaty's dead. And so then like shitty boyfriend and scream cry like the next day are like, hey, like we're our friends. Everybody's just like, I don't know. And they just sit there like, yep, I guess that makes sense. I don't know. I think they made up some story about how how Cheaty guy uh, like ran away with the 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 the. I don't know, Bible book or yearbook or I don't know, whatever the fuck it was, coloring book. And they're like, yep, we're like chasing after him because that's not cool. And everybody's like, oh, man, we're not our friends. Don't be mad at us, evil cult place. And they're like, don't worry, guys. We're only an evil cult. We're not assholes. So then like they're like, hey, I guess everything's fine. And then some random guy walks up to shitty boyfriend and he's like, bro, you need to fuck my underage daughter and even shitty boyfriend's like whoa that's a little weird and he's like no you need to fuck my underage daughter he's like bro that's weird and then you get this weird it almost looks like the diagrams of things that's in an airplane guide of like where it's like the weird like bathroom figures but it's like put on an air mask and like oh flotation device and all that shit but it's like shows a person and like a guy and it shows like a girl then it shows the girl cutting her pubic hair which Somehow they do in that style of art still. And then they show, oh, putting menstruation blood in a cup. And then they show like this thing. And I guess it's like, then you fuck. So essentially they just diagrammed how to do some like runic magic type of like love spell type of thing. So next thing you know, they're, they're eating and lo and behold, shitty boyfriend like pulls a pubic hair out of his mouth from his like meat pie. And it's like, I don't know, a red hair or whatever. And he like looks over at the, like the little ginger girl who, whose dad was the one like, hey, fuck my underage daughter. And she's just like looking at him all bashful like. And then it like kind of pans out and everybody's like drinking like what looks to be like almost like a slight off colored water. It doesn't look like wine. It doesn't look like any actual drinking liquid. It just looks like it's not clear and it's not 100% colored either. It's just kind of this weird off colored water. And then, of course, shitty boyfriend's water has like a reddish hue to it because they really and they focus on it for about five decades. So they're really wanting to show to you, like, look, that underage girl is performing a love spell on him, guys. Watch it. 
because I'm going to focus on every aspect of this for at least 57 minutes per box. And every time it comes on, you feel like the director is literally actually pausing the movie, stepping out onto the screen himself, kind of like Roger Hammond's character in Jurassic Park when they're doing the DNA fucking ride thing at the beginning to explain how they fucking clone dinosaurs. And he's like, hey, guys, I just want you to know that this picture right here is a woman cutting her pubic hair for a love spell. And then later when he pulls the pubic hair off, he's like stops and he's like, hey, guys, this this hair right here, pubic hair for the love spell from that girl over there to this guy right here. You remember what the next step was, right, kids? And then the kids in the audience are like, yeah, menstrual blood in the drink. He's like, that's right, kids, menstrual blood in the drink. And so then the drink's just like right in front of him. And he's like, then he just like zooms in right to it. He's like, do you see how this is a different color? Hold on, guys, let's change cameras. Then it goes to like a side camera. So you get three of the regular drinks kind of in the, in the you know, closer to the camera. And then you get the menstrual blood cup and then you get like three drinks behind it. So they really show you like, look, guys, all he wanted these drinks is different menstrual blood. And then you're like, oh, I guess this scene's over. And then he goes, no, 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 guys. Remember, pubic hair and menstrual blood. I'm going to show you both of them again real quick, just so you don't forget. Love potion. And like then the scene ends. And then at some point in all this mess, the scream crier does some more scream crying a couple of times. I mean, every time she cries is like a full-blown panic attack, anxiety attack on the border of just fucking choking yourself to death because you cannot breathe crying. I'm really surprised she, that the actress did not pass out from faking it because of that whole like half gasping for air, but not really like screaming until you're like your lungs are literally out of air and then just doing the smallest, shortest breath ever and then doing it all over again. I'm like, oh, that's how people die. And somehow they just kept doing it. So then they were like, hey, we're going to do the May Queen ceremony. And I'm sure I'm forgetting some shit. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. If you're if you're like listening to me talk and you're like, no, Sterling, you forgot this one pivotal scene. I want you to pause this podcast and I want you to think to yourself, did it actually matter? Because it didn't. And then they're like, oh, come be in this May Queen fucking ceremony thing with us. We're going to like spin around and do some dances and speak in a foreign language that you do not understand. But it's fine. You can do this because we're going to drink shroom tea first. So she drinks some shroom tea and she's going around and doing all this shit. And she's spinning around and doing the shit, doing the shit. And of course, she ends up winning May Queen because of fucking course she does. There was never a doubt in anyone's mind. I know if you're listening to this podcast, and you still haven't seen this movie. You're like, Sterling, I saw it coming. I'm like, I know you did just because of course she did. And while she's off winning, you know, the May Queen flower crown, her boyfriend is drinking shroom tea and then, you know, drinking the menstrual blood and then walks into this random church scene of like at least 57 old women that are naked or women of all ages not all old but there's at least 92 of them naked and they're just all chanting and singing and then the weird underage girl is just like on her back like leg spread like no he's gonna fuck and then he just walks up and starts fucking her she's down or just starts fucking her and all these like women all like 182 of them are all just standing around and like chanting and screaming and doing all this other stuff. And he's like getting slightly distracted by it, but they're like, no, it's fine. We're just cheering you on, bro. And then like right when he's about to bust, they're like, oh no, this guy looks like he's about to, you know, do the pullout method. This like old woman like gets behind him and just like grabs his ass and just like shoves him harder into the little girl just so then like he can inseminate her. And then as soon as he's done, he like climbs off her and then like the little girl starts doing like 
rocking chair crunches or whatever because i guess that's something for fertility and she's like yeah i feel myself getting pregnant and then like at this point the guy has like that post nut like clarity and so he's like oh no what did i just do and he like runs away oh yeah while he was fucking the girl the may queen now girlfriend saw him fucking her through a keyhole because that's something people can still do in 2019 look through keyholes so she's all mad at him He's all running around naked and then they all decide to have dinner and she's like May Queen and like so the dinner's all pulsating because now at this point in the movie because this guy is really so unimaginative and can't really develop anything and actually do anything that's like unsettling or like chilling or even scary with an actual story or plot or characters. He has to do it with visuals and so he's got these like weird pulsating and like trippy ass visuals because then somehow you as the audience was also now on shroom tea because that makes sense and so they're doing all this stuff and you would think like you're like wait sterling it's fine that they did that because you're still your point of view as the audience member is still through the main character and she was high on shrooms and i give you that except on her little crown there was this one flower that would weirdly pulsate over and over again and if you were her and she was your you know your avatar throughout this you wouldn't be able to see it because it's on her head yet you still could flawed logic this director sucks so he's doing all this shit and then they're like hey you're the maid queen now we have to finish this ceremony so and by ceremony i mean we've already killed two of our people we've killed four of yours already we're gonna kill another two of ours and then you get to choose who the fifth is your shitty boyfriend or this random motherfucker you don't even know and of course she chooses shitty boyfriend because of course she does and so then like they're doing that they're killing some people like they're bringing in these people and they're like oh look these are our previous victims so of course it's cheaty guy it's uh, bandersnatch mcgee it's you know the two british people and they're all like weirdly done like one's got a tree growing out of them now and then like bandersnatch mcgee like stuffed with straw and like they did all these weird things no fucking sense why same one did all that and then they're like oh you know all right shitty boyfriend we gotta burn you now so then they shove him in a bear costume like a like a like a bear skin like skin to bear and then shove him inside it and like sew it back up so he looks like a weird gigantic teddy bear and then like they light the whole building on fire so of course then now you're thinking like oh yep see like the little girl and the bear from the beginning of the movie you're like oh he's the bear like oh yeah that like it was their connection and then later you see the bear on fire then you see him and you're like oh yeah they're gonna burn the bear you know all this other stuff and then it's like the movie ends and what you were experiencing right now cine fans that's how i felt too that's how i felt too Oh, boy. I mean, you basically just got a crash course on the movie. So, I mean, if you're curious if you should watch it, you kind of watched it-ish. I mean, you know, (laughs) your own visuals, but it's your own visuals. I have actually left some stuff out. I have left some stuff out because I did did forget that whenever they're doing the suicide scene earlier or when they're doing the suicide cliff jump thing that uh, Scream Cryer McGee stares at the at the rock and sees her little sister and like little sister means like teenager college so he sees her sister like just how she looked when she committed suicide that we saw that she didn't yeah so somehow she's able to like actually picture that um there's some more scream crying stuff that some of the other people do um and then everybody's like like scream crying at the end for whatever reason i don't know um I will say this motherfucker she sees her mom yeah i will say this motherfucker dressed like a bear you know he doesn't scream i'll give him that because he's a majestic ass fuck bear at that point and does not scream at this point guys i'm done i checked the fuck out fuck this movie heather what did you not like about midsummer 
I mean, you kind of covered everything. <laughs> um, I think for me, part of it, too, is also like the main part of it is just that there's no real closure to anything. You feel like this movie is made to just have random things and to just do things to see how much they can, you know, make you cringe. Like even the characters going there, there's there's no really follow up or closure story for them other than the fact that they die. But I mean, like it's, you know, there's this whole thing at the beginning where the, the sister and the parents are, are dead. And so, but I feel, feel like there's not really like, what is the, the purpose of that in the movie? You know, cause like the rest of the movie didn't really have anything to do with that tragedy unless it was just the means to get her to go on the trip, which yes, sure. You know, she wants to get away or whatever, but there are so many other things that they could have done to be the reason why she was going on this trip. So I just feel like they didn't really connect why the sister and the parents, the death of them, like why was it necessary for the movie? I guess that's kind of my thing with that. And they, um, I mean, it just really, the individual performances, like it's they're fine but as a whole you're just like and it's the way the script is written because like you said they're just kind of like oh these people just went off oh they're probably fine it's like well you're already kind of weirded out about the people you're around but you don't think to worry like where are your friends at least for the girl for danny she could have at least like been like oh well this is weird and I don't trust these people because they sacrificed themselves and killed themselves in front of everyone. So I don't trust them. But she didn't even have that moment. She was just kind of like, it's like it didn't even matter anymore. <laughs> so I was just kind of like the the inconsistency in how she and the group felt about the community that they were in was weird. And also the fact that the friend who brought them there um, what was his name? I think it was, um, I don't remember. It started with a P, not Peter, but no, was, anyways, was, the guy who was... It, it was Creepy Swede. Creepy Swede, yes. Creepy Swede, um, who's the one that's from that community originally. He's the one that invites all these people on this trip. So, um, but I mean, like, I guess it, it makes a little bit more sense as the movie goes on as to why he didn't really tell anybody what this festival really was. Because he wanted to bring Danny there to be the May Queen and he wanted to get his props for that. And uh, clearly he had a thing for her or whatever. But I was just kind of like, did nobody think to ask him like, hey, what's this festival? Like, can you give us some information about what happens here and what this is? What should we expect? Or even he knew what the ceremony or the thing where the people kill themselves. He knew what that was, too. And he didn't tell them. So it wasn't just cheaty it was this guy too who was like just didn't warn anybody about this it's just kind of like did they not at all think to ask these questions they're going to a different country they're going to a festival that's only every 90 years what is this thing you're from a commune what is this like they, you just feel like they didn't really even ask questions about it and it's like well why wouldn't you <laughs> like wouldn't you want to know those things and also if you're writing your thesis on it you i mean you want to get i guess the live action version of what's happening on your trip but you're also going to be researching what this festival and whatever is or at least researching with your friend who's you know, from the community, what's going on here. And I just feel like none of them did that. None of them at all, like, <laughs> really gave any effort into trying to figure out what this weird, not normal festival and community was. And I just, I don't know, maybe as somebody who's a little bit more cautious, especially if you're going to 
an unfamiliar place, I would want to know all the all the answers to all the questions. You know, like I'd be like, so where are we going? What is this? Why are we doing this? Why is this festival happening? You know, like I would just want to know all those questions. And I just felt like none of them really cared to ask anything. It's like, okay, well, that's not really the smartest idea. <laughs> you're just trusting this guy to guide you and to tell you to take you wherever. And you're not even asking questions. So it was just kind of weird. Um, I didn't understand the bear thing. Like I understood that it lined up with like the picture and the foreshadowing of what was going to happen. But why was the bear a thing? Like, why did they put him in the bear costume or in the bear skin? Like, why was that a thing? I don't know. Um, so I just feel like they did a lot of things, but they didn't explain really what they were doing with anything. So, um, yeah, I mean, and it's funny because at first, Creepy Swede seems like he's the normal one and the nice one and the whatever. And then you're like, no, he's actually the worst one because <laughs> he wanted to bring them there specifically to have them killed, even though they're all his friends and whatever. So it was just kind of like this group of friends is like real messed up anyway, apparently. So, um, so yeah, it was just, I mean, and Sterling, obviously in your, in your breakdown of the movie, you covered most of the issues that I had with it too. Like, why would she be seeing her sister and seeing her sister look like that? And just those things where you're like, what? So they just, they did a lot of things in this movie, but they don't connect why they're doing it. And it's actually the same issue that I did have with Hereditary even though that movie is leaps and bounds better than this movie. And I actually, for the most part, was fine with Hereditary. But they did the same thing of they don't, they just do a bunch of things and they expect that you just know what they're doing without explaining why they're doing it. And that's my problem that I have with this movie, even more than Hereditary. And I do think that his movies, Ari Aster's movies, are all always very mislabeled, kind of like Hereditary was, where they classified it as like this horror movie when it was really like a suspense drama. And this movie, it's not really a horror movie. You know, I don't really know specifically what you would classify it as, but it's not a horror movie. I mean, yeah, it's violent and there's, you know, gore and all these things, but it's not the feel of it, the vibe of it. It's not a horror movie. So his movies are very mislabeled and I'm not sure why that keeps happening or if they just don't know what to classify it as or if he's just wanting it classified as that but it was not horror at all so it was mislabeled and i was expecting a completely different thing going into it sometimes when i do that i'm okay with the results and i'm like oh okay i didn't expect this but that was great in this one i didn't expect it in a bad way because i wanted something different and something more from it justin what about you what did you not like about this movie well kind of as heather said man you kind of <laughs> i mean when you said you were going to do a breakdown of this movie i didn't believe you i didn't think it would be that in depth uh you <laughs> proved me wrong you shocked me with that i mean you pretty much got, got it took a lot of the stuff but just to, to maybe even generalize some things that you guys already said or just to kind of uh Try to see if I can say something different here. I'll give it a go. Um, well, I, I just think that when it came to this film, like we said at the, like some of us, two of us <laughs> said at the beginning, this film is very beautiful. It, it, it looks great. The, the, the challenge of trying to make something spooky or creepy in the daylight was a challenge and different things like that. And I don't know. I, I think that the, the, the feeling I kind of walked out with was, is that it seemed like maybe so much attention 
was paid to the imagery. So much attention was paid to like the background set pieces and so much attention was paid to that stuff that what I felt like the film lacked was just um some of those story elements to kind of put things together. Just like you guys talked about, like there's how would she I, I get that she was traumatized and everything like that, but she didn't see the crime scene photos. She didn't see any of that stuff. Or if she did, that's news to me, but she didn't see those things. So how would she have these nightmaric traumatic visions of what everybody looked like at the crime scene if she didn't walk in on that crime scene? And like to Sterling's point, like every time she was crying, it was like this wailing kind of cry. And when you get to the end of the movie we kind of understand why but the problem is is that something an effect like that does kind of seem cheap because then it seems like well a person doesn't you know i don't know how often a person actually cries like this but she's but then you get to the movie and you're like oh she's crying like that so they can all be in unison and have this scene at the end so something about that just felt manufactured or or, or at least it, it seemed manufactured just based on that and then of course the crime scene and stuff like that when you add all that up a lot of it feels manufactured so that we could have uh what he, i'm sure he felt was a poignant scene at the end but I, it just didn't quite come off across a, a, a like that for me and heather hit the nail right on the head with some of their reactions to certain things like and sterling pointed it out too when the two older uh, uh cult members commit suicide the 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 people that had the most believable reaction were those people from london that were like whoa and then that guy was like man fuck this man we got to get out of here man we got to get out of here like they wanted to leave immediately it was unsettling they were uncomfortable and that was a believable reaction and maybe sure you can't have everybody reacting like that but yeah i don't know if i bought how our main characters reacted oh well it's just they're culture so just let that go i mean even still it should have set in that people are dying like people are being killed ever so often these people are getting to a certain age and they're just being killed and i don't know there should have been something a little more unsettling about that it was unsettling the visuals i thought were fine but yeah i didn't quite buy the way that the main characters were acting and uh, another thing that sterling pointed out that was true is that the moment they started telling that little story about who's going to be the maid queen i knew immediately that Florence, our main character, was going to be the May Queen. I mean, I just knew that. I mean, if you didn't see that coming a mile away, then you know, you just knew that it was going to be her. And I'd like to think that maybe um, uh, the the one that y'all were calling uh, Mr. McGee or whatever, Creepy McGee or whatever, who invited them on this trip. I, I, I'd like to think that maybe this was um, some sort of calculated plan. But the problem is that that Maid Queen stuff was pure. It, it's almost pure happenstance who uh, comes out at the end of that because you basically it's a it's kind of a battle of who has the most stamina they're dancing they're dancing and it's just whoever winds up standing last so 
You know, and also that's kind of hard to believe that all of these people, they're outside every day, they're growing crops. These women in this town, uh, in this cult seemed very active. And I don't know, is this depressed, traumatized woman who doesn't seem to really be doing much of anything, kind of seclusive and kind of keep it to herself and just sad and welling all the time. Would she have half the stamina to outlast all of those villages like that? I don't know. So even then, that was kind of a stretch to me. I'm like, as somebody who is, you know, athletic and stuff, I'm like, well, I don't know. She didn't strike me as somebody with the lifestyle to do that. And the narrative didn't give us anything to understand that either. I don't know if she would have outlasted those people i just don't know and then they they were shroomed up and you know had these hallucin hallucinogens given to them so her tolerance for hallucinogens and stuff like that just wouldn't have been as strong as them so you know th those were just you know and maybe that's a nitpick but honestly i think those are honest details that kind of just bothered me about that whole thing so this being a calculated plan for this guy that invited them out here just doesn't that that's hard that was hard for me to it's hard for that to stick in my mind because of the 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 happenstance of her even becoming the maid queen uh another thing is just like certain tropes like like sterling said these tropes of these male characters or not even so much male characters but these like shitty boyfriend characters or shitty person characters that just have absolutely no redeeming qualities and, and i just kind of i kind of hated that in the movie shitty boyfriend was just a shitty boyfriend throughout you know he i don't think there was ever a time unless i missed it where he seemed to have some redeeming qualities or seemed to have like well maybe he's not so shitty or even those moments were like man well he's suffering too maybe he's going through something too i think it would have been cool to maybe treat the situation more fairly i get that it was a breakup movie and i get that um that people are breaking up and things like that but i felt nothing for him and i felt like that was on purpose and i think maybe there should have been more of a balance tell both sides of that story if it's going to be about the breakup tell the side of a person who is going through trauma and suffering and things like that and trying to and maybe leaning on this partner that's not there but i think there's also an important story about this partner who is trying to hang in there was trying to do it for a long time but then just lost the desire to do that and is just kind of holding on and doesn't know what to do doesn't know how to handle this i think there was maybe an interesting story there too but the way the narrative paints him is just he's gonna be the shitty boyfriend the whole time and i just i don't know man i just don't like characters with just zero redeeming qualities and just like the mark character oh all he ever talked about was having sex or all he ever talked about oh man oh fuck this and fuck that and oh look at the tree oh, i want to fuck that too like i mean everything he just you know everything was just about that so you knew that character was gonna die because there was nothing redeeming about him and then would, would would you really just pee like outside like right there like in sight of everyone like like you know of all the places to to go pee yeah he peed right there because he didn't know and i get that but man would he have peed in such close vicinity i mean normally don't you try to like get out of sight i mean but he was just clearly 
just right there where all these people are walking and stuff that could just see him. So I don't know. Even that just felt contrived. Nothing about that felt like, oh, this is something that an actual character would do. It just kind of felt a little contrived to me. And then uh, you guys alluded to these things earlier, but ultimately there were just too many plot points in this film that I felt that I felt like just didn't lead to much of anything like, like, or they were just very inconsequential that that's the word that keeps coming to mind inconsequential plot points like Sterling alluded to with the, uh, with shitty boyfriend and the uh and the thesis guy the black guy that was the thesis guy not remembering his character name but that quarrel over who was gonna do the thesis that just seemed like very just paper thin conflict that really just where did that really go i mean at the ultimately they asked the person the person said sure you can do the thesis he was like oh yeah well we talked to each other and uh i guess we're gonna work that out and it seemed like maybe there was this tension building with them but that just went nowhere and it didn't even really factor into our thesis guy's person getting killed because his curiosity and his wanting to uh, take pictures of that sacred book and everything is what ultimately killed him but what did that have to do with the conflict with the shitty boyfriend like what did what did what what did all of that mean or culminate to so that was just very weird to me i didn't understand where that was going or like the mark character you know he's doing all these things and being curious and being shitty and talking about sex and stuff but all of the all the scenes with him just felt like that didn't go anywhere to me other than just to his death but Hell, if all you were going to do is kill him, did, did we really need that much of him? Maybe he could have gone missing a little bit earlier and things could have uh, you could have made things a little bit more interesting. So but I felt like there was a lot of that, just a lot of things happening that just that were just very inconsequential. The consequences and what wound up happening, the results just didn't add up to the setups a lot in this film. And then another thing about the film, the last thing I'll say about it, is that I think things were too obvious. I had more fun with um with hereditary because there was the imagery and there was me trying to figure it out and i and i just felt intrigued and that that and the acting performances overall were just better too so i think that that that, that has to be said too maybe just the act the, the actors and everything that was happening just appealed to me more in hereditary but in this i felt like things were just kind of given to you on a silver platter and the narrative didn't do much to try to veer you off or make you try to figure it out for yourself or whatever the case may be. Like the like the love story, I guess if you want to call it that. Like the love potion story um, with underage girl and, and shitty boyfriend. Okay, we we see the cloth laid out or the, 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 the paintings laid out of this cloth or whatever it was, pictures laid out of this entire story of her cutting vagina hair and the, the, the menstrual sweet tea and all of that stuff. Well, the thing is, is that like we 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 get all of that. So you see everything sequentially of what's supposed to happen. And then and then that's what the that's what the narrative goes about. It just goes about giving you all of that sequentially. Oh, uh, you know, what's that under the bed? Oh, it's a love spell. Oh, what is this in my food? Oh, it's it's vaginal hair. Hey, what's this? Oh, look at this drink. It's red. It's menstrual blood. 
just like the just like the pictures we showed you. So I mean, I just think that maybe if you, if you didn't give us all of that like at once, maybe he's starting to look at it. You know, maybe our shitty boyfriend is starting to look at it. He sees a few pictures, but before he can make sense of it, that's covered or that's taken away from him or his attention is taken away. So we don't get it all. Maybe we just see a few flashes and that's it, but we don't really get, you know, it all. So when the girl is doing this stuff, there's more of a mystery to it. There's more of a, and maybe um, as those shitty boyfriends trying to figure this out, maybe he finds those pictures later on after a bunch of this shit has already happened and he puts it together and goes oh shit all of this is happening to me i don't know i just think maybe there was a better way to present that plot point and then like i said inconsequential so i, I get that they're trying to mate and they got to have people mate and stuff like that but 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 ultimately she does all of that and it's like well i mean uh, you know, could could we have just accomplished the same thing by just drugging him and dragging him over there? I mean, he already wasn't really motivated to stay in this relationship. He already was kind of looking around before any of this, before uh, the tragedy struck our main character. He already was disinterested. He already was kind of leaning towards something else. And he already was kind of, you know, seeming like he was veering away. So did we need all of that to get him to where he was sleeping with this girl? I don't even know if we really needed all that. I mean, I don't even think she needed to try that hard, honestly, because of what we showed this character before. So even then, that just felt kind of inconsequential. And like Sterling said, the only purpose it really seemed to serve was just so she could look through the peephole and see him doing that. So... Uh, you know, man, I, I just don't know. Like, the, 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 there were definitely things I liked about this, like the visuals and stuff like that. But man, dude, some of these plot points, man, I couldn't get with it, man. I couldn't ignore it. And I, I, I just wonder, did I miss something? Did I watch the same movie as some of these critics? Because these critics loved it. And just thought it was awesome and saying all these great things about it. And I don't know if I saw the same thing. I'm glad, Justin, that you finally got to the point with this movie that I got to with Hereditary. When I watched that movie and, you know, wondered if critics watched the same movie that I watched. Fuck. I was wondering if you had watched the same movie I watched. But it's good to know that you finally got that same feeling with this movie. Yeah, man. I mean, it's so funny because, yeah, I know that's exactly how you felt about Hereditary. And but 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 there, man, I don't know. I could I could see and I don't know. Maybe it's just one of those things where it's it was fresh and new and it was kind of a, a, a different take and different things like that. And maybe I was just more intrigued. Maybe I was just uh more intrigued by that story. But this and some of the critics, I will say now, not all of them were positive. And some of the critics I did say that I can't admit did point out that they're getting used to this guy's tricks, like his parlor tricks. I believe one reviewer said that in a review that I read was like these parlor tricks that this director is using. Now you're starting to see them. Now you're starting to see things happening before they happen. And now that you know his style and how it works, it's just not as thrilling of a ride as the first time. And I think I can mirror that sentiment, like because 
I watched Hereditary and because I knew I needed to pay attention, because I knew all the imagery means something, it kind of made this predictable because we know his style. You know, it's kind of like that, you know, that, that that new quarterback that comes into town in the NFL or something. And then, you know, that first season, he's killing it because nobody, you know, because he's improv and doing all this crazy new stuff. Nobody knows how to prepare for him. But that next season, now everybody's got video on you. Now everybody kind of knows some of your tendencies and they know you tend to throw to this receiver and they know you tend to move this way and you throw a little bit more accurately. Now there are stats to look up on you. And the second season, maybe you don't do so well. Maybe you have a sophomore slump, as they say, because it's a different ball game when we've seen all your tricks. And I just feel like that's kind of what happened to me here. I knew some th- instinctively that some things were going to happen because I kind of know this director now and he didn't deviate enough from some of his styles or his formulas from hereditary to make this feel like something fresh enough. Even though visually it looked fresh, his style was definitely apparent in this film. Yeah, for sure. You guys have anything else before we go on to the next part? No, I'm good. Nope. Good, because I do. No kidding. There's more. There is more. You thought I was done. I'm not. So just like with Hereditary, this guy has given a couple of interviews and stuff like that since the movie came out and I read one and it really struck a weird chord for me because he was talking about how his biggest inspirations for this film are The Wizard of Oz and then Grimm's Brothers Fairy Tales. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I watched this movie, the last thing I thought of was Wizard of Oz. I maybe see the Grimm's Fairy Tales thing a little bit when you get into some of the very obscure versions, especially the Grimm's Brothers ones, because those are hella violent and hella dark. But they tend to still kind of have a lesson, like a moral. There's no real moral in this at all, because it's just a bunch of shit that happens. But it really surprised me when, like I said, he brought up that a big inspiration for this movie was Wizard of Oz, because it's not there on any aspect of what the fuck happened on that screen. Now, the movie he should have said that I think he was too embarrassed to say is The Wicker Man. And I bet he was embarrassed because it probably was the Nicolas Cage version (laughs) that inspired him. And he didn't want to admit that. So he was like, oh, Wizard of Oz. But no, this movie's The Wicker Man. It's a shittier version of The Wicker Man. They go to this thing. Colt does some shit, freaks the fuck out and burns alive at the end. It's The Wicker Man. That's what the fuck this movie is. It's a shittier version of it. We've seen this now like three times. Like, come on. That's what the fuck this story is. Just admit it, bro. Don't sit there and give us this existential bullshit about how Wizard of Oz inspired you because they had the yellow brick road and there was a dirt road and the dirt was kind of yellowish. Wizard of Oz. Like, come on, bro. Nothing about this movie at all was Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz-esque. Nothing. Not a damn thing. So just drop the fucking facade and just admit it. You got your Nicolas Cage on. You're not this Artur that you like to pretentiously boast that you are. You're full of shit. You like some Nick Cage wicker man and wanted to do it. Just admit it. Because that's what the fuck this movie was. And a shittier version of it. I would infinitely rather watch the Nicolas Cage wicker man than ever even say the name of this fucking movie again. I would rather watch on a loop the Venom movie for the rest of my fucking life. Oh, man. Then, like I said, to have anybody even 
think about mentioning the name of this movie to me ever again. I might go purchase Harriet the Spy now just to cleanse my fucking palate <laughs> of this movie. Good God. Justin, recommendation and score. Well, do I recommend this? Man, dude, uh, this is another one where I'm going to have to do like situational recommendations. Like if you're wondering what the fuss is about when it comes to this film or anything like that, or maybe you're coming off of Hereditary. So, you 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 know, whether you like or hate the director, now you're following him and want to see what his next project, what came of this next project. I, I think that people like that. You know, I do recommend you see it. I do recommend you see it and interpret it for yourself. I think it's fair to say that even though I didn't feel as strongly about this movie, clearly, if you look online and if you look at critics and if you look at fans, there are people that did. And sometimes with these artistic, interpretive type of movies that's just the way it goes it's like two people looking at a painting and one person says eh, that's garbage and then the other person says man it's awesome so you know that that is very much what this is like i think some people will look at this and you know and 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 they'll see the artistry they'll like the visuals the acting performances aren't terrible and they will like this uh i i could totally see that um, unfortunately, I'm not on that side. So like my friends or people like that, I wouldn't recommend they go see this at all. But if I'm but if you know, but but if one of my friends happens to be an artsy type or one of those people who I know kind of gets off on those like more abstract kind of artistic type films, maybe that person might be feeling this. They'll at least like the visuals. They'll like the daylight stuff. They'll like all of the ambitious imagery that is in this film um so again you know situational recommendation here as far as a score man dude i'm going to you know if anything i'm more split down the middle i'm gonna go with 50 50 um bulging <laughs> breathing plants and trees to represent a, a hallucinatory state out of 100. I think I'm just split down the middle on this one, guys. Like, I, I, I do appreciate the visuals. I do appreciate the ambition. I even appreciated the, the premise that it's this breakup movie kind of, sir, kind of done in a horror daylightish sort of way. I really do appreciate the attempt here, but the points, I'm going to have to drop 50 points. So it gets 50 for that. And then the acting performances. But I got to drop 50, man, for the narrative, man. I, I think the narrative just suffered too much. And like Sterling said, the last thing thought I had on my mind was, oh, this is kind of ending like the Wicker Man. So, yeah, I think that 50 is the best this is going to get from me. Heather, your turn. Yeah, I agree with Jason in the sense of if you like art house movies, if you like those eccentric um you know, independent film type of things, then you might like this. I know a couple of people that I, I can imagine would like this. Um, for me, it was, it was more of a pass for me. I didn't really enjoy it. Uh, like I said, I expected it to be something different because it was classified as horror. I just expected something completely different, but mostly just because as Jason also said, the narrative, it, Nothing really felt like it connected. It wasn't like a, a smooth transition between this and this. You know, you don't feel like you got from a point A to a point B in this movie. And also, like Sterling said, 
you don't feel like there was a moral to it in any sort of way. Even at the end, when Danny decides, I'm going to choose to sacrifice my boyfriend, there was, there was no dialogue or no anything that, you know, said why that, that was the decision he made or even afterwards, like how she felt about the fact that she chose that, except for just her weird smile that she did at the end. There was just, you just feel like a lot of things happened, but nothing was clarified and nothing really felt like it flowed or connected very well. So for that, I'm going to give this movie 30 sentences with the word thesis in it out of 100. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let me guess what you're going to give it. <laughs> I kind of disagree with you guys a little bit when it comes to like situationally, would you recommend this? I mean, I'll give you some situations in which I wouldn't. Like if somebody's holding a gun to your head... <laughs> And they're saying, watch this movie or I'm going to shoot you. Take the bullet. It's a better time. Oh, no. um, if somebody kidnaps your kids and they're holding guns to their heads and they say, watch this movie, or we're going to kill your kids. Let them kill your kids because you don't want them to be alive in a world where you've watched this movie. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I mean, there's just not a circumstance ever, ever that I would recommend watching this movie. Just none. If you've watched this other guy's movie and you liked Hereditary, stop there. Just stop. Don't watch this. Um, if you didn't like Hereditary and you're like, maybe this will be different. It is in a bad way. So don't watch this movie. Um, I disagree with uh, Justin and, and Heather with the degree of when they're, they're calling it like an art house film or something like that. No, it's not. It's a collection of sh scenes that were just put together and shown in a movie theater. It's not a fucking movie. It's not a hard house film. It's a piece of shit. It's all it fucking is. It's a piece of shit. I give this movie negative one billion out of a billion. You don't even have like a you don't even have like a clever thing because you hated it that much. I did. I did. I, I gave it one. It was a moment of silence. Oh, okay. For my fucking ninety seven centuries that I spent watching this fucking movie. You gave it. That's the official run length, too. 97 centuries. <laughs> it is a very long... <laughs> Bill Gates... And it doesn't do itself any favors with its fucking garbage-ass pacing. Bill Gates' worth of negative points? <laughs> Pretty much. Let's just go with Warren Buffett's highest like like net worth negatively out of his highest net worth positively. Whatever that is. Just give it that. I mean... <laughs> yeah and i mean i'm gonna say something and i don't want to say it because i don't even feel like this movie's good enough to justify me saying this but once again fuck this movie but really though <laughs> like one last thing man i don't know if anybody all touched on it but i don't think y'all did like how the hell would you get away with this every year like well technically they only had it every 90 years oh did they say did that they? yeah they said it's a festival every 90 years oh fuck i didn't oh. even that went right oh, over it's my head 90. i don't oh, remember it's that at all 90 years yeah oh yeah damn okay all right well nope you, you know what justin no fuck that how do you get away with doing this every 90 years <laughs> it's still very horribly planned nine people no clue, no evidence, nothing, just non people. And then, I mean, did, did they really think that that was going to happen again this year? That in the in the age of Facebook and the internet and, and Instagram and Snapchat and the fuck the, the fact that people talk at parties, that like, did they really think that this year is going to go just all according to plan? Like they were fucking telling people at a party they were going. 
you know some other you know that guy that's always trying to get dick was all on swedish tinder or was trying to uh, get you know give his dick i don't know he might be getting dick no judgment you can give whatever the fuck he wants but you know that motherfucker's on swedish tinder as soon as they land trying to get some sex you know you know, you know, you know, Cheaty is probably on Snapchat being like, yeah, guys, just landed in Sweden. We're heading here for the midsummer. You know, you know, shitty boyfriend, you know, was probably texting at least like two other chicks that he's like, yeah, we just got to Sweden. Can't wait to dump my girlfriend here or some shit to some chicks. I mean, come on. Yeah. Everybody knew where the fuck they were going. Yeah. And all the traceable ways to find out that that was their that that was their last destination. I mean, the plane routes, the the relatives that they must have told about this, the teachers that knew about the one guy doing his thesis. I mean, he would have had to have shared that with that with the instructors like I just don't know. I can't fathom, even though every 90. OK, I'll give it that. I'll at least give it that, that there are some years separate from when this happens. But, man, I just feel like in today's time, all of those traceable elements would have just led right back to him. I mean, I just could not conceptualize a scenario where they get away with this in today's time. I just couldn't. That's because they couldn't, Justin. That's why you can't conceptualize it, because it couldn't fucking happen. So... On that note, guys, thank you guys for listening. Check us out on the interwebs at www.cinemaslayers.com. It is a completely new and revamped website, so make sure you guys check it out. And then we'll be continually updating it to make it a better experience for you guys. We still need to add our store, which we will have some new merch with a tweaked and slightly redesigned logo for you guys. So we will have that coming your way. You know, check us out wherever you want to listen to podcasts. If you tried looking for us on Spotify before and couldn't find us, try again just in case because I know a couple of people hit me up about that and I was able to work with them. We were able to get it up. They now listen to us on Spotify where they wanted to listen to us anyway. I will say this and I will preface this. Unfortunately, guys, we are no longer on SoundCloud as uh, the time of this podcast release. You know, notice how there's no interruptions in your stuff. We got all that covered, but we will no longer be on SoundCloud. We are. We did jump platforms. Uh, we are now on Fireside. If you guys ever want to check that out. Um, but like I said, go to our website. We've got a, it's got a ton of cool features. You can see uh, who's on what podcast just based on pictures alone. You can, you know, if you want to like say you want to listen to my golden sexy tones and you just want to listen to podcasts i'm on which is pretty much most of them but there's a few i'm not you could actually go to my my profile and just it'll list all the episodes i'm on and you can go there if you ever want to listen to the ones with guests and stuff like that that you know you can isolate them like that even though it's in the title but like i said pictures who doesn't like pictures you can isolate them that way you know so check all that out let us know what you think hit us up on facebook where we're cinema slayers we're cinema underscore slayers on twitter and instagram uh we will be doing a snapchat where i will be attempting to kind of doing some things whenever we're going to be recording and stuff like that to have you guys hit us up with that stuff give me a little time to get that working because i've never used snapchat before and it's really kind of confusing as fuck when everything just looks the same and you know i don't want to end up just like posting like private videos of you know me going hey guys we're about to start recording let us know what you think about this movie and it's going to no one because i don't know how to use it i'm working it out we'll get it going so you guys can actually hit us up on that too uh Got a lot of cool things coming your way. Check it out. And like I said, this was a bonus episode. The next episode you will be able to hear will be Stranger Things. We will have recorded it by the time you hear this, but we will be doing the Stranger Things. It will be the next main episode next week. Uh, we'll be kind of diving into season three and kind of just covering the uh, all three seasons as a whole a little bit too, since we haven't touched on it before. Check us out. Uh, check that out. And we're going to start posting uh, 
our upcoming release schedules for you guys to alleviate some confusion because i have had some people hit me up about that too going like oh i thought you guys would do that movie and i'm like oh yeah no that's the next episode coming out so we want to keep you guys advised of that to kind of understand like i said like i have said before and just in case you didn't know we give about a week between you know what technically i think it's 10 days from when a movie comes out to whenever we release the podcast to give everybody time to watch the movie so our spoilers won't ruin anything for you and also so you'll be able to enjoy it uh, relatively close to it coming out and all this other stuff listen to what you guys think thank you guys for listening and unlike this movie will ever fucking be remember guys according to justin moon knight is the best picture winner oh that's how my soul felt when i watched this movie